So, uh, we are looking at Romans chapter 2. We've moved into the second chapter now. And last time we talked about uh, the massive mistake that comes by standing on our own self-righteousness when it comes to being justified before God. Um, As the passage continues, as the chapter continues, we got up through verse 4 last time. We're going to begin by looking at verse 5 now, uh, through about verse 8. And um, um, in this passage, we see what really is one of the most um, damaging, devastating results of believing that you really are standing on your own self-righteousness. As we read the language of this passage, we're going to see uh, something kind of interesting in terms of who Paul is addressing here. So uh, let's go ahead and read verse 5 and and make our way through verse 8. So Bible ready to go? Let's go ahead and and look at chapter 2, verse 5. But because of or in accordance with your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those by who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Uh, and I'm probably just going to try and cover that little bit today, uh, and we'll start in verse 9 next time. Um, But notice how he describes those whom he's addressing here. Now, this, by the way, is not the way he's addressing the entire church in Rome. Uh, But it is significant that Paul didn't plant this church in Rome, and and when he wrote this letter, he had not yet been to Rome. Uh, He would make his way to Rome as he was ultimately going to stand before Caesar, but prior to that time, he had not been there. And so this letter written to this church is written to a body of believers that he does not know personally, except for maybe a couple of people uh, that, uh, like Phoebe that carried the letter and that kind of thing. But, uh, but as far as being like personally known to the church or knowing the church like he did with those in Philippi or Thessalonica or something like that, this is very different. And so Paul is speaking to um, a broad audience in Rome as this letter would be circulated among the believers there. And he is talking as his, you know, we tried to make this clear as we made our way through it so far. He's talking about the gospel and the gospel rooted in grace apart from works. This again is a, a an enormous theme throughout the book. And so Paul is at this stage dealing with those who would stand on their own self-righteousness. Now again, one of the most, um, one of the most dangerous things in self-righteousness Uh, in standing on your own self-righteousness is that you could actually be unsaved but think you're saved because you are, as he said in the earlier passage we read last time, you could believe that you are more righteous than those around you simply because you're condemning them for living in these various sins without acknowledging or even recognizing that you yourself are living in the same. And Paul describes these people who are doing that as being stubborn and unrepentant in heart, and because of this, storing up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so self-righteousness has the capacity to blind us to our own actual, uh, actual state and position. And so Paul says these things very, very bluntly. Uh, And you have to appreciate this. If you don't appreciate it, let me encourage you to appreciate it. Because if Paul were beating around the bush on this, if he were just sort of using flowery language that could maybe get lost and, and you could lose the point that he was saying, 
that would be a travesty. That would be sort of spiritual malpractice. Uh, that would be apostolic malpractice, if I could invent a term there. But the idea that, that, that this is actually stated so clearly, so abundantly clearly, is really doing a service to those who would be so blinded by their own sense of self-righteousness that they would sort of be shocked into recognizing it that they might ultimately turn. And this, this becomes part of the discussion overall that Paul is talking about as we make our way through chapter 2. Um, but again, in verse 5, it's because of, or on account of, or in accordance with your stubbornness and unrepentant heart that you're storing up wrath. In other words, your sense of, of, of being justified by your works is actually going to bring about a very different payday than what you think it is. Uh, an episode or two back, we went to, uh, uh, in uh, later in Romans, where in uh, chapter, uh, was it chapter 3 or was it chapter 6? It was chapter um, uh, 6, actually, where Paul uh, ultimately culminated in his discussion about sin and the wages of sin being death. And to not even know that's what you are really heaping up for yourself, again, is a terrifying place to ultimately be. Uh, you know, it's fascinating that when you think about the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus brings it to an end. As a matter of fact, turn to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 7. This is actually a passage that rocked me uh, before I came to Christ. It's one of the passages that God used to ultimately convict my own heart. Uh, in chapter 7... Uh, notice what Jesus has to say as he's talking about a tree and its fruit and all this kind of a thing. In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, that scared the daylights out of me, honestly, because I was a churchgoer. Uh, I had always been a churchgoer. I had been an altar boy. I mean, I was really consistent. Um, I believed in God. I was not, you know, sort of an atheist or something like that. I, I grew up believing in God. And, uh, and I grew up sort of believing stuff about Jesus. I, you know, in retrospect, I can tell that in, in retrospect, I didn't have a genuine faith in Christ and his finished work. I was harboring the belief that I could sort of be good enough to go to heaven because that was, that was essentially a core element of, of the, of the Catholic tradition I grew up in. Um, I think it's, you know, the, the Vatican writings are such where if you believe that you're saved by grace through faith apart from works, you're anathema. Well, I believed that. I believed that I could, in concert with grace, I could do my part and stand before God justified. And if I didn't quite get everything done I needed to, because I was a good Catholic baptized into the church, that I'd go to purgatory and work off whatever was left that I didn't go to confession and confess whatever penance I didn't do and all that kind of thing. It's typical standard Catholic theology, and that's what I grew up believing. Uh, and so when I read this, I thought, wow, these guys have a pretty stellar resume. I've never cast out a demon. You know, I, I mean, you know, and they believed that they knew Jesus. And at the end of it, he didn't know them. They were banking on what they had done, but never realized they didn't actually know him personally. What does that even mean? 
Well, you know, if we remember back when we looked at Philippians chapter 3, where Paul talked about his boast and how he was circumcised the eighth day according to the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was, according to the law, zealous, a Pharisee, and all these different things, he said, I count these things as rubbish compared to the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Oh, that I might know him and the power of his, uh, in, in his death and all being conformed to his death and even in the power of his resurrection and this kind of thing. Paul equates the idea of knowing Christ. He talks about knowing Christ in distinction to his own efforts to be right with God. Well, to know Christ is to have faith in him, to trust that it is his righteousness that has to be given to us uh, through his imputing uh, gift, his, his, his desire to give us his righteousness through his finished work, and to, in taking our sin upon himself and replacing it with his righteousness, he justifies us. It's all because of his work and nothing to do with my own. And as we said in the last episode, the place that works comes in in the life of a believer is in response to being born again and being made new, a new creation in Christ. And therefore, we go on and live out as ambassadors of Christ as, and, and we, we, we do our good works in response, never as a means of being justified, but as an expression of being justified. And so, um, so these folks here in chapter uh, 2, verse 5, that we're reading about in Romans are those that believe, they are like those in, in Matthew chapter 7, who believe they're righteous through what they're doing, but are in for like the, the single most rude awakening that could ever be, uh, that could ever happen. And so Paul is being very clear about this so that there's no mistaking this. Now, of course, on the one hand, he's battling the, the groups like the Judaizers and those who believe you need to still uh, obey the law and come by faith and blend these two things in some way in order to be saved. And so he's refuting that in no uncertain terms. But in refuting that, he is making the gospel clear so that those who are believing like that or are being misled by that uh, can see the truth and ultimately turn and believe in it. Because if they don't, they ultimately are going to have rendered to them according to their deeds. Now, but their deeds here, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, on the one hand, they believe they're living righteously, that they're living good enough to stand righteous before God. But they're actually living in hypocrisy, as Paul earlier said at the beginning of chapter 2. He said, you know, you, you think you're justified, but you're actually doing the very things that you're condemning others for doing. And in doing so, you're, you're condemning yourself because you're, you're proving that you know these things are wrong, but you're too blind to recognize you're doing them. You're just condemning others. Your self-righteousness is blinding you. And so therefore, you will be given according to your works. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the last episode, we don't want to start thinking that what Paul is talking about is a salvation by works. Again, you can't read the book of Romans without seeing Paul just littering the book with evidences of salvation by faith, uh, by grace through faith alone. Um, but when we talk about works, what we're saying is, is that these things that you are standing on will actually stand to condemn you, uh, and you will be judged. In other words, you know, you're, you're, you're literally standing condemned by your own mouth. Uh, in your own uh, in your own sense that you're doing these things when in fact you're living righteously when in fact you're not, and so um, he'll he'll render to each one the Lord will render to each one verse six according to each person according to his deeds to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness wrath and indignation. 
Now again, seen within the context of a salvation by grace through faith, we understand that these works demonstrate where someone is really at. Uh, Matthew 25 would be an example of this. Now, Matthew 25 may happen in terms of where it happens in terms of linear time. Uh, Matthew 25 may happen uh, just prior to the um, um, uh, like the millennial kingdom being established and those kinds of things. There's some debate about where that fits in. I don't know for sure where that fits in, but this could be one of those things. Or it could very well be in reference to the actual judgment uh, that will come at the, at, the, at the Bema seat. So, But in any case, when Jesus shares this story about the idea of the sheep and the goats and separating those on his right hand and on his left, it is interesting that when you read the passage, you realize that Jesus commends those for taking care of him when he was sick, visiting him when he was in prison, feeding him when he was hungry, and so on and so forth. And those whom he, he, he commends for doing this are shocked. When did I do these things? When did I ever feed you? When did I ever, you know, uh, clothe you or, or when you were naked? Or when did I visit you in prison or feed you when you're hungry and this kind of thing? And Jesus said, insofar as you did this to the least of mine, you did this for me. Now, the, and then contrarywise, there are those that are condemned for not doing those things. And they ask the same question, well, when did I not do this? When did I see you? Surely I would have helped you out if I saw you in this kind of thing, is kind of the mindset that seems to be implied there, is that their response is one of shock, thinking, well, if I'd known it was you, I would have done that. And Jesus says, essentially, depart from me. Uh, because when you, know, uh, when you did not do this to the least of mine, you also did not do this for me. Both parties are surprised, on the one hand, that they ever did this, and the other hand, that they didn't. This speaks more to the kind of person that they actually are, something that existed within them, something that, uh, that caused them to be that kind of person to do or not to do, okay? So even the judgment there, when it seems to be based on the works or non-works, essentially there is intrinsically something deeper than that that's really in view. And this is, of course, nothing new to Jesus' teaching. Whether he talked about murder and adultery, he spoke about them not just in terms of the outward work, but in terms of the heart that would ultimately produce that work uh, or that wrong and that kind of thing. And so this is consistent with the way Jesus often taught, going far beyond just the action or non-action and actually getting to the heart of the matter. And so here, Paul is essentially speaking in the same kinds of terms. He's not justifying people by their works, but rather he's describing the kinds of people who ultimately will inherit eternal life, and he's describing the kind of people that ultimately will, uh, will land under condemnation. Uh, and of course, this lines up with what he's been talking about here in terms of the hypocrisy and the blindness of those who believe that they are justified by their works. Again, you cannot overstate the importance of understanding the gospel in its fullness and in its complete and totally being rooted, completely and totally being rooted in God's grace and not our works. Uh, again, so much of this book of, of, of Romans that we're making our way through is going to drive that point home. Uh, I would, as I've mentioned before, and I'll no doubt mention again, I would sort of make part of your required reading for understanding the book of Romans, the book of Galatians. As a matter of fact, Galatians was one of Paul's earliest writings. Uh, Romans comes along a little bit later, but, but Galatians has, um, I don't want to call it sort of a proto-argument uh, on, this, on this point, 
But it is earlier, and the book of Romans is a far greater expansion on these ideas that Paul talks about in Galatians as he's dealing with much the same question. So I would encourage you to read the book of Galatians, uh, even read it a few times as we're making our way through Romans, and you'll be glad you did sort of imbibe that book and allow it to get into your heart and into your mind. So again, I only want to just sort of deal with those verses today, and then next time we'll go ahead and move into uh, a few more verses. Uh, Now in closing, I'll remind you once again, I'm actually not here. Uh, I'm actually uh, on a trip with my family and uh, recorded a few episodes before we left so that we could post a couple things while we we're gone. So um, so, uh, uh, so, I'm an illusion right now. But actually, I'm looking forward to, uh, when we do get back, um, kind of you know, responding to emails and questions and comments that, uh, that, that sometimes accompany the videos. And so I encourage you, even though I'm not here right now, to go ahead and share any thoughts or comments or those kinds of things. Um, you're fi- you'll find that throughout the book, I'm going to hammer the gospel a lot. I'm going to really try to drive home the gospel of grace. It is so essential for us as believers to understand this and to be reminded of it, to mull it over, to think it over. It's one of the reasons why the book of Romans is so rich. Having said that, it would not surprise me in the least that there are some who might watch this that really have a problem with the idea of where we put works as a response to God's grace and not a means by which we achieve a certain measure of righteousness. Uh, A friend of mine and I have this conversation all the time about all the YouTube channels that exist out there that somehow try to blend grace and works, uh, the law and grace, and try to make them sort of a linked, connected thing in regard to our righteousness, how we achieve it, how we earn it, how we really have a right standing before God. And uh, and I I I would disagree with those that would hold that perspective that you can blend the two and have a biblical theology. I think we need to understand the place that they each have. This is one of the reasons why I, I, I again, kind of call Galatians required reading on this. Uh, Romans and Galatians should be a regularly uh, digested uh, bit of scripture so that we never sort of veer off the path of what genuine the, the gospel genuinely is. So it may be that some people want to sort of ask questions about that or want to um, uh, express some maybe differing views on that. Uh, I always welcome, um, you know, um, uh, questions and comments, even those that disagree. I would ask you to be kind and to be seasoned with salt and impart grace to your hearers and that because lots of people read the comments and that kind of thing and maybe interact on them. And I just think that this is a great forum for us to grow in discipleship but also as we interact with one another to do so uh, with kindness and genuine love. And so feel free, to, if even if you disagree with me, go ahead and share that, and we'll, we'll hopefully be able to interact. It may even be that a question or two that comes up uh, gives us uh, fodder to go ahead and post an episode on to speak to it. So I encourage that very much. But for now, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Feel free to leave comments, questions, and such in the, in the section below on our video, here on our YouTube channel, or you can do the same on my website at parsonspad.com. It's where I post video blogs of all these same videos. Uh, and, and, uh, and you can also email me from there as well, and you can also subscribe to the audio version of this podcast. Uh, if you would like to check out our church at Calvary Chapel Franklin, you can watch live streams on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. You can also get our address and come out and visit us on either of those. We have different addresses for our Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. We meet in a different place for Wednesdays. But you can go and find out more about us, where we meet, our times, and all that kind of thing, what we believe, all that kind of stuff. So we encourage you to check that out as well. So once again, thanks for watching and listening, and we'll catch up with you next time.
Father, thank you for the gospel of grace. Thank you that we are saved not by our own works. Can I, I just thank you that you've not left us to pull our hair out, always wondering if we've done enough to somehow overcome all the sin that we've that we've that we've done in our lives. But instead of that, you impute righteousness to us through the finished work of Christ. You take our sin off of our shoulders and put it on his and instead give us his righteousness. How we thank you and praise you for this. And we thank you that Paul goes to such lengths to help us understand the gospel that we might under that we might appreciate and experience the freedom of the gospel. So we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us and even seals us until the day of redemption so we can live in the confidence that when we take our last breath on earth, all because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus, your grace toward us, that we will one day stand in your presence, unashamed and unafraid. Lord, we bless you, we praise you, and thank you for this. We ask you to continue to bless our times studying your word, and uh, we just commit these times to you. In Jesus' name, amen.